0: We're just Oh no sexual Good morning.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Or good evening. We don't discriminate.
1: Time out. Flag on the play.
0: Wait, are we sports gays now?
1: Oh god, I hope not.
0: (sighs) We're back again this week with a review of 1987's Hellraiser, written and directed by Clive Barker.
1: And in honor of Barker, please remember to spay and neuter your pets.
0: Chase, that's the wrong Barker. But, Doms, remember to feed and water your subs.
1: This week we are skipping horror news with Richard... There are far too many real horrors happening in the world, and nothing is really exciting us in Horror World right now.
0: Stay tuned for an upcoming real-world horror special on our YouTube page in the coming weeks.
1: Where we will cover next Benedict, the ongoing Palestinian genocide, and ugly motherfuckers in the South who want to reverse the hands of time on LGBTQ plus rights.
0: But for now, let's talk about the incredibly intelligent and creative queers who uh, have done way more than we have to make the world a place worth living in.
1: This week for Queer History, we have 11 inventors. And
0: their inventions. We're switching things up. Our first is Sir Francis Bacon. Bacon has been called the father of empiricism in modern science. His works argued for the possibility of scientific knowledge based only upon inductive reasoning and careful observation of events in nature, Most importantly, he argued science could be achieved by the use of a skeptical and methodical approach whereby scientists aim to avoid misleading themselves. Without the groundwork that he laid, many of history's most impactful scientific discoveries may never have occurred. Historical notes believe that he was primarily homosexual.
1: You're telling me a gay man is the reason I had to do scientific method worksheets (laughs) in school?
0: I do believe that's so, Chase.
1: That's unacceptable.
0: (laughs) This queer history is just angri Chase. (laughs)
1: All right, let's give that one back to the (laughs) Straits. Number two, George Washington Carver. Carver was an American agricultural scientist, best known for his work with peanuts and sweet potatoes to improve soil quality in the southern United States. He was at his time once called the Black Leonardo. Born into slavery, Carver's former master raised him and his brother as their own children and encouraged them to pursue their intellectual advancement. He rose through the academic fields while researching crop rotation at the Tuskegee Institute. Placing particular emphasis on using nitrogen fixing legumes to improve the condition of soil depleted by cotton usage. In order to encourage the use of peanuts, he is believed to have invented and cataloged many uses of the legume, including a hundred and five recipes and several patents for using peanuts in the production of cosmetics, stains, and paints. However, it is a myth that he invented peanut butter, which had been eaten by the Aztecs since the 15th century. He is believed to have been bisexual, having both marriage to a woman and a relationship with a man later in life.
0: So he did not invent peanut butter.
1: That's like the only thing the history books said.
0: (laughs) Nothing about this man who was born a slave and became the black Leonardo.
1: (laughs) The one one black man in the history books. They didn't even get that right. They're They're fucking up.
0: Number three, we've got Florence Nightingale. You may have heard of Florence Nightingale as uh, she was a nurse in the Crimean War who checked on wounded soldiers during the night, giving her the name the Lady with the Lamp. What most people don't know was that in addition to making nursing a respected profession, she was also an accomplished statistician. Statistician.
1: Status. Status.
0: Statistician? Statistician.
1: Statistician. We're smart. We're smart. Moving on.
0: And creator of some of the first infographics. She was the first female elected to the Royal Statistical Society and pioneered using new ways of displaying data in visual ways that can be understood by non-statists.
1: Such as Coxcomb charts, which is a funny name.
0: She became the first woman ever to be awarded the Order of Merit by the British government. What is interesting is even though her work led to the advancement of women's rights, she publicly noted that she believed that women were not as capable as men. Her sexuality is up for debate, with some of her writings suggesting she may have been a lesbian, although the general consensus was that her religious beliefs kept her chaste.
1: God damn it. The church is fucking everything. Yeah, they do, and
0: the fucking patriarchy kept her down. Women are just as capable, if not more capable, than men.
1: Mic drop. drop. Number 4. Frederick the Great You may not have heard of Frederick II, ruler of Prussia from 1740 until 1786, but in Germany he is known as Old Fritz and modernized many laws to make society more progressive, and is particularly famous for the innovative way in which he revolutionized agriculture using the humble potato. While the potato was discovered by Europeans after the Spanish invaded South America in the mid-16th century, It wasn't initially popular back in Europe, as it was seen as having no taste or flavor, and people were suspicious of it. While Frederick wanted his peasants to begin farming the vegetable to help feed the people, they refused, saying, What the farmer doesn't know, he will not eat. So Frederick found an innovative way to convince his people to value the simple crop. He pretended that they couldn't have it because it was too valuable. He planted fields of potatoes around his Berlin residence and had his royal guards protect them as if they were gold. This made the peasants take note that these humble potatoes must actually be quite valuable. What they didn't know is that Frederick had instructed his guards not to protect the potatoes very well, and sometimes even pretend to be asleep, allowing the peasants to successfully steal some of the crop, try it, and plant it in their own fields. This helps spread the vegetable and give it the respect it now enjoys. To this day, if you visit old Fritz's grave near Berlin, you will often see people putting a potato on his gravestone. Historical accounts believe he was homosexual, which enraged his family and society at the time. After a defeat on the battlefield, Frederick wrote, Fortune has it in for me. She is a woman, and I am not that way inclined.
0: So, Sir Frederick the Great is the reason that I love potatoes, and I thank him for that. But also, like, can you imagine, like, being assigned as one of those soldiers just to fucking watch the crop? Just
1: tricking people.
0: <laughs> oh, he's asleep.
1: Like he a child, like, oh, you want this veggies? No, you don't? No. Well, you, you can't, can't have them anyway.
0: <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> For number five, we have Alan Cox. Alan Cox is an American geophysicist. Um, Cox and his colleagues were instrumental in developing a way to measure the changes in the Earth's magnetic alignment and the geomagnetic polarity timescale. This enabled the testing of the seafloor spreading hypothesis, which gave some of the first credible evidence to the theory of plate tectonics, which Cox became a leader in researching and teaching. He was in a long relationship with his colleague, Clyde Warhaftig. I am struggling to pronounce today.
1: Warhaftig.
0: but also i couldn't not put a man named cox on our queer history i
1: appreciate that i bet he liked it too Hmm. number six lynn conway conway is an american computer scientist and is credited with the invention of generalized dynamic instruction handling a key advance used in out-of-order execution used by most modern computer processors to improve performance she worked at mit ibm xerox parc and darpa and invented dimensionless, scalable design rules that greatly simplified chip design and design tools. However, her journey was not a simple one. Born as a male, she suffered from gender dysphoria. She had to leave MIT after the medical climate at the time wouldn't allow her desired gender transition in 1957. And she was fired from her job at IBM in 1968 after she informed them of her intention to transition. It was IBM's loss as her later work at MIT, Xerox, and DARPA on VLSI microchip design revolutionized the industry. She completed her gender transition in 1968.
0: The trans community has been around Forever. <laughs> I just.
1: They fucking love computers. Yeah, they do.
0: Number seven, Sally Ride. Uh, Sally Ride was NASA's first female astronaut. She went into space in 1983 and still holds the record as the youngest American astronaut in space at 32 years old. Her duty was to operate the robotic arm on the Challenger SPAS-1. In 2001, she founded Sally Ride Science, a nonprofit which continues to promote STEM literacy, with a particular focus on getting girls interested in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Although she was married to a man until the mid-1980s, by the time of her death in 2012, Ride had been in a 27-year relationship with a female partner, Tam O'Shaughnessy.
1: Number 8. Lana and Lily Wachowski The Matrix was directed by the Wachowski sisters, Lana and Lily, and was one of the most innovative films ever made. In addition to introducing the world to a beautiful mix of sci-fi and philosophy, some of the special effects for the film required the directors to invent completely new filmmaking techniques. The most famous of these is probably the multi-camera setup used for the groundbreaking bullet-time 360 slow-motion effects. However, both sisters were in reality transgender, even though initially they did not acknowledge this publicly. Lana eventually transitioned in 2008 and was the first major Hollywood director to come out as transgender. Eight years later, in 2016, Lily then also came out as transgender before transitioning. I
0: have all my entire life basically have heard about The Matrix and everybody's love for The Matrix, but I had no idea that it was directed by a set of trans... Sisters, why is that something I don't know?
1: I don't know. I've been on Tumblr a long time, so I knew it was a transgender allegory for like I don't know since like 2010, but I feel like most people don't know that.
0: You can ask my brother if he knows that.
1: Film bros, you know, film bros fuck everything up.
0: That's true, they don't want to talk about it. No, they want to pretend that it's not happening, but it's happening all around you,
1: and it's explicit. You're just being an idiot with your hand in your pants and your head in the sand.
0: (laughs) Number nine, we got Peter Thiel. Co-founder of Confinity in 1998, which started PayPal in 1999, Thiel is often referred to as the dawn of the PayPal mafia. A group of former PayPal employees and founders who have since founded and developed additional technology companies such as Tesla Motors, LinkedIn, Palantir Technologies, SpaceX, YouTube, Yelp, and Yammer. Thiel himself was also the first outside investor in Facebook and provides millions of dollars into forward-looking research technologies through the Thiel Foundation and Thiel Fellowship. While now openly gay and married to his longtime partner, Thiel was furious at being outed in a 2007 article by Gawker Media. This resulted in him bankrolling a lawsuit involving Hulk Hogan to successfully bankrupt Gawker. Baller. Hell
1: yeah. Baller. Fuck you, Gawker.
0: But also, this man is the reason that we have Facebook. Like...
1: Yeah. He was the a first flex? outside backer Is that a flex anymore? They're Not really, evil. I don't know Everything he's touched has turned to shit
0: That's true So let's move along to number 10
1: <laughs> Number 10, Leonardo da Vinci Not only did he paint some of the most respected works of art of all time, including the Mona Lisa and the Last Supper. He was also a voracious designer of innovative new inventions, as well as a skilled illustrator and scholar of the natural and human world. In fact, during this period of the Renaissance, science and art were not seen as exclusive to one another. During his years, Da Vinci is reported to have documented over 13,000 pages of notes in his studies of various subjects, which covered a fascinating variety. These included studies in light, human anatomy, botany, geology, cartography, hydrodynamics, astronomy, alchemy, better known as chemistry, mathematics on perspective, and geography. Or geometry. Or geometry. As well as engineering challenges varying from dams, bridges, war machines to flying machines. While Da Vinci kept his love life private, it is widely believed that he was homosexual, based on accounts from those who knew him at the time, as well as court documents where it was revealed He had been involved in a sexual encounter with several men.
0: We all know who Leonardo da Vinci is, but um, I love this because it's an encounter with several men. Was that multiple encounters with men, or was he caught in an orgy?
1: I'm pretty sure he was in an orgy. (laughs) Go
0: Leonardo, okay?
1: (laughs) If he was in an orgy with (laughs) several men, he wasn't possibly homosexual.
0: (laughs) It's not a possible thing. Just accept... (laughs) that the queer community has existed for eons Ever. and our last and 11th inventor is alan turing turing was a british mathematician and father of the general purpose computer during world war ii he worked for the british code breaking center at Bletchley park helping to build the algorithms and machines which broke the previously uncrackable enigma codes used by the nazis helping to bring an end to the war Following the war, he used this knowledge to design the Automatic Computing Engine, which was one of the first designs for a stored program computer. This was later improved upon by his work developing the Manchester Computers, some of the first stored program computers. However, the world lost one of its most influential minds far too early, as in 1952, Turing was charged with the crime of gross indecency after admitting to having had a homosexual relationship with another man, which was a crime at the time. Not only did this charge mean that he could no longer work for the government communications headquarters, in exchange for not going to prison, he was forced to accept chemical castration through injections of diethylstilbestrol. Diethylstilbestrol. BES, an estrogen medication which left him impotent. In 1954, he was found dead due to a reported cyanide-based suicide. In September 2009, British Prime Minister released the following statement about how Alan Turing had been treated at the time. Thousands of people have come together to demand justice for Alan Turing and recognition of the appalling way he was treated. While Turing was dealt with under the law of the time, we can't put the clock back. His treatment was, of course, utterly unfair, and I am pleased to have the chance to say how deeply sorry I and we all are for what happened to him." So on behalf of the British government and all those who live freely, thanks to Alan's work, I am very proud to say we're sorry. You deserved so much better. While the world is a more forgiving place now, this showcases the fear that many of the world's LGBTQ scientists had to live with for what would happen if their secret were to come out.
1: Holy shit. There are a lot of great historical queer people.
0: And this wasn't even everybody that I found. These were just people that I picked. Um, and that doesn't include like any of the current queer inventors who are working in fields right now we exist
1: we exist we've always existed
0: and there are more of us out there than you know
1: and they make your favorite movies so fuck you
0: all right chase shall we move right along into our queer icon
1: i suppose now let's talk about our queer icon and who is that richard why don't you tell the
0: people who our queer icon is
1: it is motherfucking. Elliot Page.
0: All right. All right. All right. Um, now we both wanted to do Elliot Page, but I feel like you picked Elliot Page.
1: I do want to
0: do Elliot <laughs> Page. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> Elliot Page. Oh yeah. Elliot just... Page if you're listening. <laughs> Chase Chase has some words for you.
1: Not as hot as Mae Martin, I'll give you that. But God, Elliot, I have so much enthusiasm. Anyway, let's go.
0: We've got 11 reasons why Elliot Page is a queer icon.
1: Number one, Canadian actor Elliot Page is the first openly trans person whose TV character on the Umbrella Academy transitioned in parallel with their real life. Dope.
0: That's just fucking cool. Number two, he has been nominated for an Academy Award, two BAFTA Awards, and a Primetime Emmy Award, and won an MTV Movie Award for Inception in 2010.
1: Number three, he produced and starred in the film Freeheld 2015 and directed There's Something in the Water 2019.
0: And as an actor-director... That's pretty cool. Number four, Paige is also known as an outspoken activist, describing himself as a pro-choice feminist. He has spoken out in favor of the Me Too movement, advocated for abortion rights, has called for the end of military dictatorship in Myanmar, and also practices as a vegan. He is an atheist, having said that religion has always been used for beautiful things and also as a way to justify discrimination. And that's kind of the
1: way that I feel about religion. Number five, in 2014, Paige was included in the Advocates Annual 40 Under 40 List. In 2015, he received the Human Rights Campaign Vanguard Award. Paige has strongly spoken out against discriminatory legislation towards the trans community and has become a vocal advocate for LGBTQ rights.
0: As everyone should be. Number six. In 2007, he had his widespread breakthrough for his leading role as the title character, a pregnant teenager in the coming-of-age comedy drama film Juno, written by Diablo Cody, who also wrote Jennifer's Body. I love Juno. like could quote Juno to you all day. Um, this film was a critical and financial success and was widely considered to be one of the best of the 2000s, and Paige's performance earned critical acclaim. Film critic A.O. Scott of the New York Times described him as frighteningly talented, who is able to see him in the space of a single scene, mature beyond their years, and disarmingly childlike. And Roger Ebert said that no other actor had a better performance in 2007 than Page, whose presence and timing are extraordinary.
1: Number seven, in September 2021, Page launched a production company, Page Boy Productions, and that title is hilarious.
0: And number eight, in February 2022, it was announced that Flatiron Books had acquired the publishing rights to Page Boy, a memoir written by Page for $3 million. With the book set to release in June 2023, the memoir debuted at the top of the New York Times bestsellers list for nonfiction. I've
1: never written a book. I have, but it was in fifth grade, and I only wrote the nonsense chapter, so.
0: (laughs) That's pretty cool, though. I did write a poem one time
1: that got published. Ooh, you are basically Elliot Page. Uh, Yeah. Number nine. On February 14th, 2014, Page, who at that time presented as female, came out as gay during a speech at the Human Rights Campaign's Time to Thrive Conference in Las Vegas.
0: Which leads us to number 10, which is Elliot Page came out twice in their life because on December 1st, 2020, Page came out on social media as a trans man, specifying his pronouns as he and they and revealed his new name, Elliot. Page explained that his decision to speak openly about his gender identity was partially prompted by the COVID-19 pandemic and partially by the anti-transgender ret- rhetoric in politics and the news cycle.
1: 11. Page appeared on the cover of the March ninth, April 15th, 2021 issue of Time, making him the first openly trans man to do so. He requested that, win neely photographed him for the cover because he wanted another transgender person to be the photographer in the featured article he described himself as queer and non-binary and revealed that at the time he came out he had been recovering from undergoing top surgery a process that he described as life-saving page also revealed at the age of nine i felt like a boy i wanted to be a boy i would ask my mom if i could be one someday (sighs) that's real For everybody out there, if you're transgender, that shit happens to you when you're small. One of my earliest memories is being a five-year-old chasing a boy on a basketball court at my apartment. Maybe I was four. Anyway, if I caught him, I got a kiss, right? But he said, you'll never catch me because boys are faster. And I was very confused. I was like, I am a boy. Just said it. Just knew it. Felt it. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm a boy. And he was like, well, if you're a boy, you're tr- why are you trying to kiss me? Which is just... None his business. That was his a business. homophobic little ten-year-old. The fuck? Oh, also, ten-year-olds should not be kissing four-year-olds. That's true. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Anyway, we love Elliot Page. Have always loved Elliot Page.
1: We'll uh, continue to love Elliot Page. Absolutely. Assuredly.
0: And honestly, I hope you feel like Elliot Qua- Page is an icon. Yeah. we do.
1: You better. Or else. Or else. Or
0: else. Will tear your soul apart.
1: (laughs) Speaking of tearing your soul apart, (laughs) let me give you a quick synopsis of our film this week Hellraiser 1987. In a grimy cafe somewhere, a grimy man buys a fancy box from an even grimier man. The Grimier Man says, what's your pleasure? And I'm guessing it's probably not a bath. The grimy Man slaps down a thick stack of dollars, so I'm guessing he's a stripper, which is fine, but imagine how many more fancy boxes he could buy if he maintained himself a little better. Back home, I guess? I don't know. The grimy Man sits in a very small circle of candles on a hardwood floor, which is pure danger and we don't advise you to try it at home. He solves the fancy puzzle box, and the prize is a bunch of chain hooks ripping at his flesh, which doesn't seem like a great prize, but presumably he's into it. Suddenly, some funky little dudes show up to see if his body mods are cool enough to join their body mod gang, but the hooks tore him a little bit too much apart, and the Pinhead guy from the movie cover has to reassemble his face pieces on the floor. Pinhead picks up the box, excited by another puzzle, but solves it quickly because it's not a great puzzle. The flesh, blood, and body mod gang disappear, leaving the room just as shitty as it was before. Sometime later, Grimy Man's brother, Larry, is moving in to Hook House with his frigid yet classy second wife. It's a whole ass mess. Rotten food everywhere, a disgusting floor bed, and uh uh-oh. Naughty pictures of Grimy Frank's various conquests, including... Frigid wife, Julia. But we don't know that yet. Larry assumes Frank is off being shady somewhere, which is kinda true, but hardly the whole picture. Larry's daughter, Christy, also moved back with them, but got her own place because Julia is the worst, and I don't blame her. Moving in shenanigans ensue, including Larry cutting his hand on a nail while trying to move a mattress up the stairs, which we totally called, and he kinda deserves it for not listening to us. He calls for a break cause he's a wimpy little man-child and runs upstairs to bleed somewhere new. It's the room his brother Frank died. The floor loves this and slurps up his blood like I slurp up refried beans. Christy and Julia take Larry to the ER, which in this case stands for ERROR because he didn't stick around long enough to see his grimy brother regenerate from the floorboard grime, shrieking like he's the one watching it happen. Later, Julia hears something in the bloody goo room and goes to check it out. Wait, could it be? Is this bloody goop of a man actually Frank, the man she boned down on her wedding night? Yeah, it is. And he's like, please feed me more people so I can regenerate into a non-goopy human and bone you down again. And she says, sure, because apparently that dick is magic. Does Julia bring him? Oh boy, she does, with little to no convincing. While that's happening, Christy develops a relationship with a man who we have, like, no information on. And that's the middle of the movie julia brings some dudes and franks tells her how he needs more dudes because the puzzle box took him to get dicked down by freaky bdsm aliens the cenobites but he's tired of that so let's just reneg on the cenobite deal and run away together and i can dick you down forever that convinces julia to bring more dudes meanwhile christy dates some guy and then julia brings another dude oh no larry honey don't go in there okay Frederick wife i'm trying to keep you for some reason presumably and i'm gonna listen to you christy gets followed into a pet shop by a homeless man who eats crickets and julia lures another dude At this point, Christy sees Julia and is like, Hey, you're cheating on my dad? The fuck? She sneaks into the house where Julia is feeding her goop-cuck boy toy another man. The man stumbles out of the attic trying to save himself, but it's too late. Frank follows, looking more like an actual dude now, but the mummy did it better. Frank hits on his niece because he doesn't understand healthy sexuality, and she's like, Ew, and throws his puzzle box through a window and runs. A few hours later, Christy wakes up in a locked hospital room, the least likely place for people to believe your fleshy vampire uncle is sucking down murdered dudes to finally get some skin. They think she's crazy and won't let her see the boyfriend who came to see her, but also like he had no reason to know she was there. Hmm, puzzling. But wait, the puzzle box is there and it's even more puzzling. She plays with it, but the puzzle is actually pretty easy to solve. Puzzle box is just… kind of a bad name for it. The box opens a portal to Cenobite World, but she doesn't know where that is and she just sees a monster in the hallway that appeared in her wall and runs away, back to her room where the wall seals up, but there's still monsters behind it. The walls change again and this time the Cenobites appear. A man with pins in his face, appropriately named Pinhead, says, "Did." Did you fuck around with this box? And she says, maybe. And Pinhead is like, well, now we gotta take you to BDSM Bone Town on planet Dick. No, that's the rules. She begs them not to, but doesn't realize that's probably a turn-on for them. Side note, BDSM is about respect, so always listen to no, unless your partner has established a different safe word. Might I suggest Ashley Simpson? No one is talking about her anymore, so there will be no mistake. Anyway, Christy tries a different tack and says, how about you kill my Uncle Frank instead, and let and the Cenobites are like, bet. Christy runs home to save her dad, but it looks like dad's fine, and he says he took out Frank, which seems wildly out of character because he's a total wimp. Christy checks out the corpse in Frank's vampire room. The Cenobites show up because no one can kill their bitch but them, and Christy runs out to save her suspiciously butched dad. She's a really good daughter, too bad she doesn't have a dad anymore. Christy realizes her dad is just Uncle Frank in a dad suit and tussles with Julia, who gets stabbed by Frank and he drinks her blood because obviously he never gave a shit about her. And that's why you don't simp for a monster, folks. Christy runs to the attic, which is not a good move, because where do you go from there? The roof? Bad strategy. Frank and Dad follows her and is like, hey baby, I just want to fuck, sorry about your dad, but he was already dead inside, which is probably true, because he couldn't even tell his wife was cheating on him and also, very casually, into murder. The Cenobites reappear and are like, okay, so you are Frank. You're coming with us. And they hook him to shit. Christy runs in an appropriate direction this time, and the Cenobites come after her because they're greedy. Christy grabs the puzzle box from Julia's corpse, but it only causes more monsters to appear. Her boyfriend shows up because his entire role in the film is to show up, and they fight all the Cenobites fairly proficiently. They bolt from the house and try and burn the puzzle box in a fire in an empty lot. But while it's on fire, the cricket-eating homeless guy appears, grabs the box, catches himself on fire, and then flies away as a skeleton demon. Jesus Christ, what the fuck? The movie ends back at the grimy cafe. The cricket-eating skeleton demon homeless man sales guy from the beginning is there selling the box again. He asks the new man, what's your pleasure? In the end, That's my pleasure. And that was the summary of Hellraiser, 1987.
0: You know, this is a big film for people. Like, people love this film, but I've watched enough BDSM gay porn that I I didn't even need to watch this film. I've already seen it.
1: Oh, you know what? I haven't considered that. Because, spoiler alert, we'll get into this in a second. It's not a spoiler for the movie, just for, like, my soul. I did not care for this movie. But I guess... In the 80s, it was something new and novel that you d- couldn't see anywhere else. Oh my god, I get it now.
0: It, it was acceptable. Before this, for you to see BDSM porn, you had to go into the back room of somewhere and find it on a VHS tape.
1: I hope it was good. God.
0: But here, you have it right in front of your eyes in major theaters.
1: That's crazy. All right, anyway. The tagline for this film is, He'll tear your soul apart. It's not clear who he is, but moving on.
0: You won't break my soul. You won't break my soul. Cut that out. I don't like that. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 70%.
1: IMDB gave it a 6.9 out of 10%. Nice.
0: And The Queers Have Eyes have given it a 7.2 out of 11.
1: How did we reach that score, Richard? We're going to tell you.
0: Traumability. 11 out of 11. Unless you are into hardcore BDSM. We don't yuck yums. Um, All the body mods remind me specifically of the pain I've gone through with every single one of my rejected cartilage piercings. And also, Frank hits on his niece. Gross. Chase, how dumb is the protagonist?
1: For this one, we're going to give it... 6 out of 11. Christy is mid-dumb. On one hand, she totally believed her wimpy dad could beat up Frank, even though he sucks. And then she ran up the stairs from danger dumb. On the other hand, she chose not to live with bitchy Julia and then caught her bringing extramarital dudes home, which is pretty smart.
0: Because Julia's a slut.
1: Slut.
0: We don't slut shame. No. Halloween costume realness comes in at an 11 out of 11. Oh my god. The world of the Cinnabites? It's an incredible avenue for you to explore. Just leather and extreme body mutilation? Holy shit. Work on your FX makeup, um and you can get as creative as you want.
1: Richard, did they even go to Juilliard?
0: I've given this a 2 out of 11. Um this the acting is bad. Um I truly believe that Larry and Julia were in a loveless marriage and um that Christy hated her stepmom, but outside of that the acting it just let me down.
1: Daddy, is that you? For this one, we've given it a 9 out of 11. We were going to give him a lower score, but he insisted we call him daddy. Frank is sexy, and the lengths that Julia will go to for him and the dick down he gave her on her wedding night, lets me know that that man knows his way around a G-spot.
0: Stream and Cream 11 out of 11, a queer film about BDSM with no clear plot? Sign me up. I'll grab the handcuffs and the flogger.
1: Jump scares! this one we gave a 1 out of 11. A bloody corpse does fall on Christy in the closet but I'm not really scared, are you?
0: Can I make this with an iPhone? 8 out of 11. Can I film 30 low-quality shots in an abandoned house? Yes. Do I have uh, friends who can make those sick special effects and those amazing costumes? Maybe not, but I really think so. Yeah,
1: I think we can pull it together. Ghostface. Face. This one we gave a 4 out of 11. The movie starts and ends with the only O-face you need. Frank being torn to pieces with hooks like a fish's nightmare.
0: Scream, queens. Five out of eleven. There was a lot of screaming from Frank Larry, and quite a few from Christy as well. It was okay.
1: Which leaves us with the Queers Have Eyes custom category, which we've given... Eleven out of eleven! Eleven out of eleven. One. Frank is an adult who plays with puzzles. Gay. Gay.
0: Two. Larry can't tell his wife doesn't love him. Gay.
1: Three. Frank only drinks the blood of men. Gay. Gay.
0: Four. Christy hates her stepmom.
1: Gay. Five. Cenobites have a lot of piercings. Gay. Six.
0: Frank willingly joins a sex cult. Gay.
1: Seven. Christy is scared of the sex cult. Gay.
0: Eight. Christy hides in the closet.
1: Gay. Nine. Christy runs away from the giant dick monster. Gay.
0: Ten. Frank's inside of Larry. Gay.
1: Eleven. Julia is a slut. Gay. Gay. Which brings us to 11 out of 11, 11 gay. 11 out of
0: 11 gay. You know, this is the first real queer-coded horror film that we've watched so far on the podcast. And I think it was the hardest for us to create gay moments for.
1: <laughs> yeah. It w- well, we, we're normally grasping at straws. Yeah. But I didn't want to put the actual gay things in the list. Because it's not in the spirit of this rating.
0: No. No. So we had to get creative.
1: Yeah. Also, weirdly, I did not like this movie. Um, even though it was the first queer one. It, it was just like, uh, eh, there was no story for me. Richard liked it, though.
0: I did enjoy the film. I, But like I said, I've already seen this porn a million times. I, <laughs> I've been watching this since I was 12 years old. <laughs> this is just
1: high-budget porn.
0: Low-budget now. but low bu-
1: Well, yeah. I don't know. I like. The homeless guy following Christy around, eating the crickets. That like, was pretty good horror for me.
0: What was that?
1: I, he's the he's the guy just from the from the cafe. He's, from the he's the beginning. Yeah, he's the guy from the beginning, and also a demon dragon skeleton. I don't know, but he was just hungry. I guess I could see. We don't know where that cafe was in the beginning. It could be somewhere where they eat crickets, and he was it's like a oh, delicacy. I and mean, then he's food. like.
0: These crickets are only three cents a pound? I'll take them.
1: That's pretty soft. Maybe we should start eating crickets. Food's getting expensive out Oof. there.
0: Whatever it takes to survive. Now, I, I would have really, really loved to get more into the world of the cinevites, To get more from them. Because I, scream, scream, I think their screen time total is like 10 minutes of the film. And then it's the annoying cast.
1: I'm pretty sure it's less. I think it's less than 10 minutes. It was small, but I'm also fairly certain the second one goes, like, to their world.
0: We should have started with the second one.
1: We should have started with any other movie, honestly.
0: (laughs) No, I think this film did everything it was meant to do. It opened so many people up to the world of BDSM. And they're like, you know what? I do want you to put hooks in my body.
1: That's pretty cool.
0: Now here you are with a lip ring and I have a nose ring. Thanks, Clive Barker.
1: I have 16 holes in my body. That's it's none of my business. All Cl- <laughs> It's all Clive Barker's fault. So, since there's not too much to say about this movie, because like, the special effects were amazing. The practical cool. effects, fantastic. Um, the story was nothing. The acting was eh. But, for a little bit of color, there was another disagreement Richard and I had. And Richard thinks Christy looks a lot like Winona Ryder.
0: I, I do. They have like they would be called for the same roles. They have the same face, similar eyes. It.
1: I just don't know because Winona Ryder makes me feel like I'm in love every second I'm looking at her face, and Christy was just
0: okay. But you know, is a that because girl. of your memories with Winona Ryder and every movie that Winona Ryder has been in that you've watched, Beetlejuice, The Heather's. As a that, and that's your connection with Winona Ryder. Because I looked at Christy and I knew it wasn't Winona Ryder. But I was like, damn, Winona Ryder's father has some explaining to do.
1: Oh, yeah. All right. We're breaking it down on the Queers Have Eyes podcast. Winona (laughs) Ryder's father, you are up for questioning.
0: (laughs) But there is is maybe a timeline where you're in love with...
1: Ashley Lawrence.
0: There... Could be a timeline where you are in love with Ashley Lawrence in the way that you are in love with Winona Ryder instead.
1: She just got all of Winona's movies? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I guess.
0: I haven't actually looked at the dates, but you're telling me that that doesn't look like Winona Ryder to you.
1: No, you know why? It's the bottom lip.
0: I'm not saying that everything about them is the exact same. They're not twins.
1: They're not twins, but they're not... All right, you know, side by side. You guys can't see this, but we can see it. I see your point.
0: They are in the same vein
1: of actresses. the same genre of pretty symmetrical brunette. I will give you that.
0: Look, maybe the problem is that Ashley Lawrence is five years older than Winona Ryder. Maybe that's...
1: She was just too early. Yeah,
0: she missed her mark.
1: That's possible. But consider this counterpoint, Christian Slater in the Heathers.
0: (laughs) Yes, I want to fuck Christian Slater in the Heathers. Thank you.
1: Okay. Same. I just had to bring it back together, you know?
0: (laughs) I think it's time for us to wrap this mother up.
1: (laughs) Hellraiser, you might like it. Mm. That's all for this episode of The Queers Have Eyes. Join us next time on our YouTube channel for a special real-world horror news episode in memory of Next Benedict and the countless queer people affected by the ongoing Palestinian genocide.
0: And after that, our only logical course of action is to get very, very drunk on a special St. Patrick's Day episode while you watch us take shots of Jameson, not sponsored, and talk about our love of the Irish and 1992's horror classic, Leprechaun.
1: And if you're still here, stay queer. And keep your eyes open.
0: Slay!